everybody. The Detroit Pistons Podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, and we're doing something a little bit different today, but it's something I think you guys have definitely are going to be excited about because it's something you've been begging for, and that's just like an hour of me talking about the NBA draft. Um, I did so with Rafael Barlow, who is a former NBA scout. He has a show called uh, NBA Draft Junkies on Dash Radio. He has a YouTube channel also called NBA Draft Junkies. It has a lot of great content. Um, and he recently partnered with the Locked On Network to host Locked On Draft for them. So Rafael is a very, very busy dude. Um, so when he reached out to me to talk about the draft from the Pistons' perspective, I was really honestly pretty flattered and uh, you know tried to do the best I could to, to help him out with with his show, um, this is that conversation. Uh, Raphael was you know nice enough to to partner with me and, and share the audio, so I really appreciate that. Um, this conversation happened over the weekend. It happened the night that uh, Kate Cunningham scored 40 points over the Oklahoma Sooners. And so you know if I don't think anything crazy has happened uh, in the last couple of days uh, that would alter my uh, draft analysis. But uh, you know just with that caveat, just just going into it. But yeah, this is this is just gonna be an hour about the draft, which is what everybody uh, has been has been screaming for uh, heading into the All Star break. Uh, thanks again to Raphael. Really appreciate him having me on the show. The next voice you hear will be his. Uh, thanks for listening. What's up? It's Raphael with NBA Draft Junkies on the NBA Draft Junkie Show on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. Have a special guest today. And we are here to talk about Detroit Pistons basketball. I wanted to do things a little bit different going forward and, and reach out to to guys that cover their, their favorite teams to talk about the draft. And, and my first guest in this series that I'm going to do is Laz. A lot of people, at least I know him on uh, social media as Last chance, <laughs> Lazarus Jackson. He is the well. He writes for DetroitBadBoys.com, and he also hosts the Pistons vs. Everybody podcast. He had me on as a guest on his show a few months back, and I really enjoyed it. And it was it was cool to talk team specific basketball. So now he should return the favor. Laz, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. I didn't know I was the first guest, so I feel like a little a little extra honored right now. But it's also because my team is terrible, so there is that. <laughs> yeah, you know, if I was reached out to a Laker fan, then you know, It'd be a little bit different about the draft. But there's a couple of teams where you know, it's about the time we're close to the halfway point, or yeah. not at the halfway point. So it's it's time to start really focusing on the draft, and that's why you were the first person I wanted to reach out to for for this particular series that I'm doing. But before we get into the 2021 draft. I wanted to get your thoughts on the 2020 draft. The Detroit Pistons have a few draft picks. And how do you feel about the players that are in this draft from the 2020 class that are on your favorite team? They've all been better than I think – well, most of them have been better than I I expected them to be. Um, Obviously, the big one, the headliner, is Killian Hayes, number seven overall pick. Uh, He had a hip sublection only played seven games so far this regular season. And so he's been out for like the last five weeks. Um, that's been obviously rough for the team. You wanted time to evaluate him and everything. Um, but the other rookies have really stepped up. Um, Sadiq Bey has been uh, just like a really good like gap filler. 
for the team, shooting forty over forty percent from three on like good volume for a rookie, which is like really surprising immediately right out the gate. Um, after the whole Blake Griffin situation, he was uh, put into the starting lineup and he's played pretty well in the starting lineup. So like that that's been really impressive to see. Um, been better on defense than I think you have any right to expect any rookies to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's Isaiah Stewart. Isaiah Stewart's been um, basically he stole the backup big man job from Jaleel Okafor like 10 games into the season. Uh, and he's been really impressive with like just the energy level that yeah. he brings on a consistent basis. Um, a little bit more skilled than I thought he would be. Like coming out of Washington, right, you always saw him like operating out of the post and stuff. Um, beating guys with, like, jump hooks, and he knew, like, that wasn't going to fly in the NBA. But uh, he's really impressed as, like, an offensive rebounder and as flashes some stuff in the uh, in the short roll, too. So that's been good. And then Saban Lee. Saban Lee is a guy I didn't expect, like, anything of, right? 38th overall pick, purely developmental guy. But uh, Pistons have, you know, Killian Hayes is down. They traded Derrick Rose for Dennis Smith Jr. Um, DeLon Wright has been hurt. And so he's actually been getting minutes for the last couple of weeks. Yep. And he's been playing pretty well. He's scoring like double digits uh, every game as the backup point guard. Been much more uh, like patient as a as a ball handler than I expected. Usually like super fast, super athletic guys, you think those guys just like have one speed and they just go. But he's yep. been much better about that than uh, than I think I expected him to be. And so yeah, like so you know everybody who's been playing for, out of the 2020 class for the Pistons has been a, a pleasant surprise. So. Everybody's really excited about uh, what Troy Weaver has got in store for us for uh, for this draft. Yeah, man, I, I was shocked to see Lee perform so well. But before we get to Lee, I wanted to talk about Killian. You know, he only played seven games. It was a rough seven games for him. He looked like he was having a difficult time just adjusting to the overall speed and, and pace and finding his role in a sense. I felt like in the games that I saw – he he obviously knew that he was going to split minutes with, with Derrick Rose, but it, it didn't seem like he was really aggressive or assertive in the minutes that he was playing. I mean, a lot of it could be because the shooting well, just wasn't there. I mean, he, he, he wasn't efficient at all. So even though it's a small sample size, and you hate seeing anyone get injured and having a big chunk of their rookie season, um, you know, taken away, especially this year with, you know, guys didn't have summer league and, and all of that. And so you definitely want to see your lottery pick get a lot of those developmental minutes. And this was the perfect year for a rookie to get developmental minutes for the Pistons. So even though it's a small sample size, like I said, what is your thoughts on, on Killian? The pros and the cons from what you saw. Yeah. So we'll do cons first because there are more cons than pros, <laughs> as, as you pointed out. Um he was much more, like, turnover-prone than I thought he would initially be. And some of that was, like, just, like, rookie jitters. Um, he turned the ball over twice, you know, on entry passes to Blake Griffin at the end of the Minnesota game, the first game of the season. Um, he would get called for, like, travels in the backcourt and stuff due to ball pressure. Uh, you, you wouldn't you – know, like, stuff you wouldn't expect, like, he would get settled and some of that stuff would be less of a factor. Um, the shooting, like you mentioned, wasn't great. He was much better, strangely, as a catch-and-shoot player than as a pull-up threat, which I think, like, uh, he was advertised as this guy who could be, 
uh, a pull-up threat uh, mm-hmm. off the dribble, and uh, that ended up not being the case. He was much better, like, you know, as an off-ball shooter. And he, he could get to the paint. He could get to the paint, but he couldn't get all the way to the rim and finish. Yeah. And so that was that was really tough. He had a lot of, like, the the floaters and the touch that you uh, that he exhibited, like, in the BBL was was still there. Um, but he was like, it would just wasn't, it wasn't happening with for him. Um, but like the, for pros, like he was still a great passer, like as he was as advertised as a passing threat. Um, finding like Jeremy Grant in open spots. Um, if you got him any kind of advantage situation, he could, you know, hit the corner for shots. If it really felt like, uh, he, he was struggling going up against other starting level NBA point guards. Yep. And so, like, you, what you kind of expected, right, is, like, you know, uh, he, if he plays, he'll eventually get moved to the bench, then he would start playing better. Um, and then he, as he figured stuff out, like, maybe he starts the, the second half of the year. Now that situation is kind of up in the air. We don't know. Uh, well, he'll be reevaluated for his injury in, like, three more weeks, and then we'll see what happens from there. But he doesn't really I – mean, his role is not, like, immediately clear when he comes back. Yeah, I don't even know if I would bring him back, to be honest with you. I, I, I think you would want, like, 10, 15 games. Yeah. Just just so he has, like, and uh, the Pistons schedule will be much easier in the second half of the season than it was in the first half of the season. So just so he's got, like, some good tape, something to build on for yeah. the offseason. Um, but, like, with his with the hip injuries, it's always weird because, like, I like I know what a hip injury is good for, or I know like what an ACL recovery looks like. I know what, like a knee injury recovery looks like. I don't really know what a hip injury recovery like looks like, especially for a point guard who um, like wasn't you know the most athletic dude in the world prior to that kind of injury. And so if he's if he's able to come back and he's able to put some good tape on, that's something to build on like for next season. Obviously, you don't want to push him um, and play him if he's like not fully healthy. But if he's fully healthy, there's no reason you know, not to get him out there. And that's why I was wondering, why do you bring him back? Because most times you don't come back 100% healthy. Yeah. You know, you come back when you are able to play and contribute, even if it's 70 to 80%. And so yeah. I don't know if he'll be 100% healthy when they bring him back. And then also, um, I saw some reports out there that, that when he was younger, he had a hip surgery also. Did you see those reports? I have not seen those reports. I saw some reports that said, like, the Knicks knew his hips could be a problem mm-hmm. um, that came out, like, post-draft. Yeah. But uh, they were the only team I saw with that intel, so I didn't know exactly how to take that. Um, so, yeah, you're, you're, I haven't seen anything like that. Your guess is as good as mine on whether or not that was, like, a, a factor going into the season. Yeah, somewhere, and, you know, it was on Twitter, so yeah. there was no way for me to really verify it. But I, I remember reading, like, probably like the day after the injury, that someone said that he had hip surgery or he had some type, type of procedure uh, at 14 or 15. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. And so hopefully that's not the case, and hopefully this isn't, um, you know, just a, a major injury that sets him back. If I'm not mistaken, is it the same? Very similar to injury that Isaiah Thomas had. Um, I think Isaiah Thomas's injury was much more severe, but it is like yeah, it is a hip injury. It's more, it's similar to the hip injury like Lamarcus Aldridge had back in college. Okay. Yeah. Yep, I, I remember when Lamarcus had that had that injury. But yeah, I, I liked 
Killian a lot coming into the draft, and I'm getting just destroyed on on some of my some of my social media. Yeah, you're not but the only one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I had Killian over Lamelo. I, I thought he was playing in a better league. I thought he was um, just going to be a better player. Time will tell if if I'm right or wrong. But right now, it just looks like I was totally off, and Lamelo's been a lot better than advertised. Why? And Killian short. You know, the, the short time that he did play, he just didn't look good. So I've even had people send me messages on YouTube like, you know, you, you owe Melo an apology or Killian is awful. And it's a short sample size, but, again, um, it, it looks like uh, it, was, it was definitely a, a, a lapse of judgment or wrong choice that I made. Yeah. Like, everybody, me and Kevin O'Connor. Yeah, everybody's allowed misevaluations, right? Like, I, like I, I agreed with with you, right? Like I also had Killian over Lamelo, and I mean, like we, I don't think that was an unfair like assessment. I just think Lamelo has been much, much better than he showed in Australia, like immediately, and to expect that was unrealistic. But it's like it's not impossible. It's clearly, it's happened. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I think in a redraft, and even though it's only a few months ago that we had a 2020 draft, he goes number one. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, when or if he does come back, how do you think the rotation at the point guard spot will play out? It depends. Um, the team. There are rumors that Delon Wright, the current like starting point guard who's hurt, uh, would be traded prior to the deadline. So, um, if that happens, you know, obviously it'd just be like Killian, Dennis Smith Jr. and Saban Lee. Um, and in that case, like, it makes no sense not to start Killian. If you keep DeLon right, maybe you continue starting him and bring Killian in off the bench. Um, and then, uh, you know, you're just stuck with DSJ and, and Saban as uh, as rotational guys. Um, I do think that if Killian comes back and if he's fully healthy, he will be coming back off the bench. That's, um, that's like, the, the feeling that I've gotten from, like, the, the beat writers and everything, that they, they don't want to rush um, him back into, like, the starting lineup into a situation, like, that he wasn't having success in, like, even before uh, he got injured. So, All right. The next player I wanted to talk about is a guy that it pains me that he's in a Pistons uniform. I, um, I'm a Blazers fan, and I wanted him in Portland – Every podcast that I had leading up to the draft, I I wanted him in Portland, in Portland, and now he's doing exactly what I thought he'd be doing at, at this stage in his in his development. Which I was wrong on Killian, but I was right on Sadiq Bay. And what are your thoughts on Bay so far? Bay's been great. He's been great. Like I said, he's been uh, in the starting lineup ever since Blake Griffin decided to uh, to sit down or like you know. They came to an agreement or whatever. Um, shooting over 40% from three on pretty good volume. Most of his shots have been threes. Yeah. Um, been much better as a team defender than uh, than expected. Um, and I'm like, that's that's on and off the ball. In the uh, Pelicans game, like earlier this week, he ripped up Brandon Ingram, which is like not something that, you know, I expected him to ever do. So that was pretty cool. Um, and he struggled a little bit like inside the arc. As a finisher, I believe, like, it took him, like, a couple weeks to even, like, make a two. He was, like, yeah. 0 from 12 from 2 for a while there, which was funny. But, yeah, he's been uh, just 
as a role player, as a guy who's been able to, to, to just play a role for a team, has made an immediate impact. Yeah, and I'm not shocked at all by anything you said. I thought he was going to be a good defender just because he's a good defender in college, and then, you know, he has the Villanova pedigree. And, you know, Villanova guys usually have this, this toughness about them, and they're, like, all, like, glue guys that – they just know how to play in a, in a team setting, and they play, you know, I, I want to say they play winning basketball, but right now <laughs> he's in Detroit, the Pistons aren't winning, so I can't give him credit for that. But I really wanted him in Portland because I thought he was the guy that could rotate between the three and the four. He'd defend. He'd knock on open shots. I knew from inside the rim, I knew he would struggle a little bit because he lacks, like, that explosiveness and vertical pop. Mm-hmm. But I thought he was the one that could take advantage of switches, like when teams switch and he has a smaller guard or a wing on him, then he can take the ball in, in the post, and he's, he's such a good passer. I don't know if he's been able to really unlock his playmaking skills yet, um, and I haven't watched a lot of the, the Pistons yeah. games to see, but I know at Villanova he played a lot of point forward. We've seen a little bit of that, mm-hmm. right, like here and there. They don't ask him to do that a lot, but uh, there was like an end-of-game situation against Chicago where he came in and like ran a nice play and like hit Mason Plumley with a nice pocket pass. Um, he hit he hit somebody. I think he, uh, I think he hit Stewart on um, a nice read against the Magic like earlier this week as well. Mm-hmm. And so like we see like fits and starts with that. Yeah. Right. It's not. Uh, it's not the, the main thing he does, but like it's in. It's in there somewhere. Yep. And just going back, and, and I had it in my notes to talk about. And as far as Killian, when he struggled, how much of it do you think was related to not having a pick and roll partner? I think a lot of it was due to them trying to get him to run pick and rolls like with Blake Griffin. And Blake's not rolling anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and and so there was a lot of like, uh, there was a lot of two man game between like Blake and Killian, where uh, Blake would like hesitate. Um, Blake Blake doesn't like to shoot off the catch. He likes to, like pump fake and uh, and then shoot, and so like uh, disrupt his rhythm that way. Uh, Mason Plumley was a much better pick and roll partner for Killian, and they were starting to develop some chemistry. They would connect on like a lob like once a game. Or uh, or something like that, and so you would you would you would start to see some of that stuff, and then obviously the uh, the injury happened. So yeah. now, as far as Bay, do you what what position do you think he's best at? Do you think he's best at the four, or do you think that he'll he'll play some minutes at the three, depending on the you know the rotation? Right, right now he's at the three. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's at the three next to Jeremy Grant, who's like more suited to be a four than a three. Um, I think it's for Bay. It's more about who he's next to, yeah. right, than than anything else. Um, and so for the Pistons, for the situation he's in right now, I think he's a three. He could even be a two, in uh, in uh, some of the they play like they play like Bay, Josh Jackson, and Jeremy Grant all at the same time. All those guys are kind of interchangeable, and yeah. all those guys will will switch on defense and uh, you know keep everything communicating and, and whatnot. So uh, I think he's. Uh, he's fluid, but I think he's better as a three than a four. Okay. Yeah. I thought his best long-term position would be would be as a four. 
But now I want to talk about Isaiah Stewart. Isaiah Stewart is a player who coming into his freshman year at Washington, a lot of people projected him as a lottery pick. He had somewhat of a disappointing freshman year, not necessarily disappointing due to production, but his stock kind of fell to the point where a lot of people didn't even have him going as high as he did with Detroit. And if I'm not mistaken, he was the 16th pick. Yes. Which was the Blazers pick from, which was it the Blazers, Trevor Ariza? I know some deal that involved Trevor Ariza. That was the, that was the Brooklyn Robert Covington. Pick. Okay. I think. Well, anyway. So yeah. Because <laughs> I know there was a deal with Trevor Ariza, Robert Covington. Somehow it was like Blazers, Rockets, Pistons. Yeah. And uh, I... I, I forgot how it went. But anyway, Isaiah Stewart has went from, I guess in one case you could say he went from maybe overrated to underrated to to see him playing a role. I mean, Detroit signed a gazillion fives yeah. <laughs> during free agency, <laughs> and um, I didn't think that he would play as much as he did this year. I thought this was going to be a really big developmental year from him but not getting the minutes in the NBA. I thought he was going to play in the G League. But he's, he's in the rotation now. He's playing well. He's doing what we expected him to do, in a sense, as far as bringing the energy. And I didn't see him playing over Okafor. So in your opinion, what how do you, what is your thoughts on Isaiah Stewart and his long-term development and his long-term role with the Pistons? So, yeah, his long-term role is much more interesting than his current role. Um because obviously you pick a center in the first round, you expect that guy to be, you know, a starter for you just because centers are not extremely valuable in today's NBA. And, like, I do think it's possible that Stewart at some point could start, uh, but until he develops more, uh, like, capabilities as an offensive player, Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's kind of rough. It'd be kind of rough to, to start him. Um, he's shot a couple threes. He's made a couple threes. I think he's made one three. Um, and like after every game, the beat guys are like, yeah, he's out there like shooting threes and he's making them. And, and so eventually, you know, you hope that's an element of his game we get to see in time. And I think that was something that, uh, you know, was projected out as something that could, like, make him more valuable offensively um, in the draft. And so, like, you hope to see that eventually. Um, and then defensively, he's been just – he's been really good as a uh, – as, like, a, a dig-and-recover kind of guy. Yep. Um, he's not as good in straight drop just because, like, you know, he's 19. 19-year-old dudes don't know how to play straight drop that well. Yep. Um, and uh, the only other thing is, like, he's kind of undersized but the wingspan's really good. Yeah, he makes up for it with his arms. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. You, I figure, like, you play basketball with your arms. <laughs> so you definitely can make up for it. with. I mean, it's like plus seven foot. I don't remember exactly what it is, but I know. Yeah, he's got like a seven. He's like six eight, six nine. He's got like a seven three wingspan, which yeah. is like pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I believe in the shooting. I think in time, maybe by year three, I think he'll be able to – become somewhat of a threat with or somewhat of a threat as a floor spacer. I just for whatever reasons I believe in it, he strikes me as a guy that's gonna put in the work 
to work on the shot. The touches is not bad, and so I think uh, it's going to take him some time, and it's going to take the right coach that is going to give him the freedom to shoot because he seems like a guy that people can easily just put into a box. Mm-hmm. Say, this is your role, energy, rebound, role, hustle plays, and kind of ignore the fact that he's been putting in the time and working on his jumper. And the best example is um, I mean, he was briefly a Detroit Piston, but Dwayne Dedman, he's, he's a friend of mine, someone that I've known for for years, and um, he used to spend his summers here in Dallas working out, and I would always see him shooting threes. And I'm like, man, he he has touch. And nobody would even allow him to shoot, like not even <laughs> even in practice. And then he had told me the story that when he got to Atlanta, um, I think Bud was the coach, and he was like, he brought him in for a workout, and he shot the ball well. And then he ended the workout and was like, come back and do it again tomorrow. And he shot the ball well again the next day and did it the next day. And then basically told him, all right, we're going to run, we're going to try this out over seven games. And if you continue to, you know, shoot well and become a threat over seven games, then we'll just continue to, to put these plays in the playbook. And I want to say that year he went from like, it wasn't like Brooke Lopez where you go from zero to 40%, but I, I want to say like he shot maybe like 35% from three that year on a decent volume of attempts as a backup big, but it was something that he had been working on for years. And when the opportunity came, he kind of made the most of it. So I said all that to say this. I think with Isaiah Stewart, he he does have a game that you can easily throw in a box as just the energy guy and the role guy. And, you know, people don't um, – you may want him to expand his game, but it's going to take the right coach. And so I think that I'm just to believe that he can expand his game and, and show his range. And like I said, it's just going to take the right system and the right coach. Yeah, I think the front office got Isaiah Stewart with the idea that of in time he would do that. Yeah. And so they are, like, you know, instructing the coaching staff to, you know, to nurture that and develop that and make that a possibility and, 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 the, uh, and make that an eventuality. Um, like I said, he's gotten up a couple in games. It's not something he does every game. It's not something he does, um, you know, every night. But uh, he but he he does get them up occasionally and that's uh that's been exciting. Yep. All right, the last player for the twenty twenty class, Saban Lee. I knew he was a freak athlete coming into this draft. I was actually shocked that he was selected. I didn't think that he was going to one be drafted where he was at well he was is thirty eight. Thirty eight, yeah. Yeah. So I thought if he was drafted, it's in the maybe in the 50s at the very end of the second round, and I didn't see him as a rotation player in, in the NBA. This year I thought he had so many things to work on in his game. I knew he was athletic. I knew he was you know, a decent passer. But he's been surprising. He had a big game a few days ago. And where do you see him in the Pistons' future, and does his development complicate things for some of the other guards on the roster? That's a good question. Um, I don't think – I think he has a future with the team. I think there are some other guys on the roster that have, like, a present on the team, right? Like, they're on the team now, but they're not necessarily in the team's long-term plans. And so his development – or his 
his development kind of like from where he was in college to now and his future development, I think, is more interesting to the team than uh, anything they've got going on with some of the other guards on the roster. Um, I think, yeah, it, he would be an interesting, like, change of pace from Killian, right, in the long term. They're two very different players. Yeah, it's different. Uh, can get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think I think that, that change of pace would be, would be interesting. Um, I don't think they could play together. I mean, like, maybe maybe they could play together in time. Um, that would be something to consider down the road. I mean, well, yeah. it depends, like, if they're tanking and they want to – Get, let them develop, but also yeah. continue to lose so they can be in position to get another high draft pick. Yeah, most definitely. You, can hey, you, you said it, not me. <laughs> but, yeah, I think uh, I think Saban has shown a lot so far this year, and I think he definitely like, has a future on this team, which is, again, like you said, like I also didn't expect um, – this didn't come into this draft with, like, a second-round pick, um, mm-hmm. and I didn't expect them to take – uh, another like super athletic point guard with that with that pick because you know going into the offseason they had Jordan Bone on the roster yeah. and he kind of fills that same niche as like a you know hyper athletic uh, six two six three point guard um, but you know Saban Lee has kind of immediately been better at the NBA level than than Jordan Bone was in his limited minutes so that's been pretty cool to see but uh, yeah it's been it, it's been fun also Saban Lee tries to uh, murder big men. With dunks. That's really fun. That is definitely something that he's known for, his athleticism. And just when it comes to finishing at the rim, he's looking for the home run, the home run every time. So, again, this is Raphael with the NBA Draft Junkie Show on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. I have my guest, Laz Jackson. He is a big Pistons fan. And now we're going to talk about – but you're probably here for, <laughs> and that is 2021 NBA draft prospects for the Detroit Pistons. As of today, the Pistons are. Do they have the third worst record or second worst? Second record? worst record, I think. So they're in the position, in a very good position, to get one of these top players in this draft, and and this is considered a really strong draft class, especially the top five. And um, for those that don't know, I mean, I assume you would know. I mean, you're listening to an NBA draft show. <laughs> so I assume you would know that Kate Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green, Jonathan Kuminga, and uh, Evan Mobley are considered the top five prospects in this draft. I think it's very important for Detroit to stay within that range, within the top five, because it's it's such a huge drop from 6 through 10 or 6 through 15. I think there's some good players available, but, you know, for Detroit, I think that um, you want to stay in that range and you want to continue to lose and get as many ping-pong balls as possible. All right, first let's start off with Kate Cunningham, who had a monster game today. We're recording this on Saturday, but the show will air on uh, Monday morning. He had a 40-point game today. And what is your thoughts on Cade Cunningham and his fit with the Pistons? Uh, since he's the best player in this class, I think he would be a great fit on the Pistons. I'd be very excited to have Cade uh, in Detroit. I love how intelligently he plays the game. I love how he kind of uh, hunts and uh, elevates his game in clutch moments. We saw that tonight 
against Oklahoma. Um, he was doing everything down the stretch for them. Um, the the thing I get asked most often from Pistons fans who are kind of interested in Cade because everybody agrees like he's the best player and they so they want to know how he'd fit on the team and they want to know like could he play next to another point guard since the Pistons just used a top ten pick on a point guard in Killian Hayes mm-hmm. and I think the answer is yes uh, he handles the ball a lot for Oklahoma State but uh, he shouldn't always have to. Um, everybody, you know, everybody compares him to, to Luka Doncic, and I think that's like a, a fair comparison. And you've we've seen in the past how Luka Doncic benefits from other guys around him who can play make off of him, right? It was it was Seth Curry a couple years ago. It was uh, current Piston DeLon Wright filled that role for them for a little bit. We saw Trey Burke do that. Like right now, uh, I think it's Jalen Brunson is doing a lot of that for them. Um, and so, like, having another guy who could play make and take a little bit of pressure off of Cade, uh, like, consistently, maybe not, you know, down the stretch of games, but, like, you know, in the first in the first halves, I think that would be good for him. Um, and by, by not making Cade do everything, I think you make him better when he does have to do things. It also probably gives him a little bit more energy to expend on the defensive end, which is one of the things I think um, I'm, I've been concerned about when, when I watch Cade play. Yeah, I mean, he's pretty much carrying that team. I think there's maybe one other guy that is a potential NBA prospect, which is Isaac Likely, but I don't even see him as a top 60 guy if he comes out this year. So Cade is really doing a lot, and I think the reason his turnovers are so high, I know at this point, last I checked, he's averaging more turnovers than assists, which is somewhat shocking because – he came in with the reputation as being such a, a great decision maker and having a high IQ. Some of the turnovers are sloppy, but I think some of it just has to do with he just has so much to do. And the fact that if he had better teammates, his assist numbers could jump up two or three per game. Yeah. And instead of being like three and a half turnovers to four assists, they could jump to six turnovers to close to four assists. So anyway... I I like Kate, and I mean, I think there have been a little bit of rumblings of he could fall off the top spot because the guys in the G League play well. I think after the game today, he solidified. He, he solidified, which it should have already, you know, been solidified, but I think after today's game, you know, it's, it's a no-brainer. To the point now, I mean, we can talk about it, and we, we saw Jalen Johnson from Duke do it. Do you think we're going to get to a situation going forward in college basketball where guys decide to shut it down after big games to maintain their draft stock? Uh, I don't think so. I think um, we we have enough of uh, an example of guys helping their draft stock in the tournament yep. that I think it makes a lot of sense for most guys to play. This year is a very weird year. Everybody knows why. This is a very weird year. Um, and so I think it makes a lot of sense for a guy like Jalen Johnson to, to make the decision that he made. Um, but, yeah, and then, like, if if guys want to uh, – if they want to focus on something other than school, they have alternatives, right? Like, they have the G League Ignite team. And so I think the guys who are more interested 
and just like developing and honing their basketball skills will probably just head there instead of uh, instead of going to college. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about. Jay I, wanted to, I wanted to ask you about Cade though. Are you are you concerned at all that he doesn't pressure the rim enough? Because that is definitely like one of the critiques that people have had of his game, and it was it was even noticeable today in the forty point game. He didn't really start getting downhill until like the fourth quarter in overtime. And so, do you think he can pressure the rim enough? Yeah, I mean, I just think spacing is a big reason behind that. I think if if he played on an NBA team with NBA spacing, then I think that he'll attack the rim more. Sometimes college basketball is hard to watch because yes, it is. some teams are playing two traditional bigs and the floor spacing isn't there. You don't see a lot of pick and roll actions. So for some guards, especially guards that are, you know, playmakers, you don't really get a chance to see everything that, that they can do. They can't really showcase their full skill set because, I mean, the floor spacing just isn't there. And I mean, I look at Cole Anthony from last year. He was one of the worst finishers in the draft. And um, as far as like being a guard, and Killian was the best, which is weird. <laughs> but I felt like the difference between them was Cole Anthony is obviously more athletic than Killian. But Killian played in a pro system in, in, in Germany. I'm sorry. No, yeah, in Germany. And he had a big that could space the floor. So even though he doesn't have, like, great blow-by speed, he was able to finish at the rim because he had spacing. While with Cole Anthony, North Carolina didn't have any spacing, and he shot, like, below 50% around the rim. So I think that that could be part of the reason why Cade is not really attacking the rim as much. And then he's also just doing a lot, period. He's Like we said, he's carrying that team. Now, how he would fit with Detroit um, they don't really have a lot of floor spacers at, at the four and five spot also. So there could be somewhat of a concern there, but overall, I don't think it's a big deal. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. All right. Now, Jalen Suggs. All right. Let's say Detroit is, let's say they're picking number two, right? And Kate Cunningham is off the board. Would you look at Suggs at number two? Or would you go in another direction? I would go in another direction. And not because I think Suggs is a bad player or anything. Um, I just don't know exactly what his role is going to be at the NBA level. Uh, I I know what he can do. He's a good athlete. He's a good passer. Uh, I worry a little bit about the shot. Even, like, the Iowa game where he made seven threes. I I didn't, like, look at any of those shots and be like, oh, like, that's definitely going in. He's just, like, flinging the ball at the rim, and it just so happened to go in. Mm -hmm. Um, He's cooled off a lot since then. Yes, (laughs) yes. And so I do kind of wonder, you know, uh, what kind of a a backcourt would he form with Killian Hayes? That's a very, like, weird uh, backcourt. But, but I mean, like, but he's very athletic. He's a good defender. Um, He's been put in... We talked about, like, Sadiq Bey a little bit earlier, how Villanova guys just kind of know how to play. Gonzaga mm-hmm. guys are very similar. They also yeah. just kind of know how to play. And so um, I, I don't think, like, I don't think Suggs is a bad choice, but he's more um, if Pistons get some uh, some of their typical lottery luck and end up, like, four or five, I think that's where you could see, like, Jalen Suggs being taken. Yep. All right, let's talk about the G League Ignite guys. 
Yeah. Now, the first game, everybody was on Jonathan Kuminga. Now, if you had to judge today who was the better prospect of the two between Kuminga and, and Jalen Green, who would be your choice? I think it would still be Kuminga as far as prospects go. Who's yeah. played better? It's been Jalen Green. Jalen Green has been, has been playing better than Kuminga. But Kuminga is still a better prospect than Green just because he's got more physical tools. He's taller. He's longer. He's got a great frame. Um, he can do a little bit of everything offensively. Um, the only problem for him in the G League is that he's been doing a lot of he's been doing a lot of everything and it hasn't been working. Right? Uh, Brian Shaw has been like running like punch sets for him, like take like post ups on smaller dudes. Um, they've been playing him some at the five in the last couple of G League games that I've seen after Dante Hall got called up. Um, that seemed to get him engaged defensively, weirdly, but, like, didn't really make a difference as far as, like, the shots going in and out. Um, his shot's are really robotic. It yeah. looks the same It looks the same every time, but, like, whether or not it's left or right or long or short, like, you, you won't know that until uh, until it hits the rim. Um, and so, like, yeah, you, there's a lot of there. There's a lot more there there with Kuminga if you can get him to shoot better, um, if you stop using him like he's Lamar Odom in 2006, <laughs> and if you uh, get him to really lock in on defense. That's the other thing I've been really frustrated with, watching Kuminga. Um, his processing speed on defense is really low. You'll see um, guys will relocate, and he won't realize it until it's too late. Um, he, will get, he gets screened really easily, and he's able to break through because he's bigger and stronger than a lot of dudes at the G League level. But like he's still like getting he's not doesn't have a lot of technique for like getting around screens or anything like that. Um, what else? Yeah, and you see him just kind of or you see uh, this is something I noticed really in the Memphis game the, or the the game against the Hustle. His guy would give the ball up and then he would just like shut down on defense. It's like okay, my job's done. It's like yep. you know you got to you got to keep playing defense, dude. You, you got to keep going. It's twenty four uh, twenty four seconds of possession. Yeah. Um, and so he he hasn't played as well as Jalen Green, but I think he's still the better prospect. With all that said, yep. So, all right. What are your concerns about Jalen Green, and do you think he would be a good fit for Detroit? I think he would be a good fit for Detroit. My main concern with him is that he's not like an amazing ball handler. Um, he's able to get to his spots and yep. get to his shots, but a lot of that is still like because he's lot more athletic than everybody else at the G League level yeah. and he is a he's a crazy athlete right and so you he could probably get away with a lot of that at the NBA level too but um at a at a high level you know for uh for a future Pistons playoff team like would he be able to get away with some of that stuff like not until like he increases uh his skill level um and like honestly like I it's weird cuz like I worry about the no, I don't worry, but, like, the type of player Jalen Green is is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, when you think about guys who are really great uh, athletes and, you know, pretty good shooters at his size, like 6'6", those guys uh, in the NBA, is, you're thinking of, like, your Zach Levines or, like, your Victor Oladipos or, like, your Bradley Beals. And, like, those guys are good. Like, Zach Levine's an all-star this year. Uh, Oladipo made all-NBA a couple of years ago. Bradley Beals led the league in scoring a couple – or he led the league in scoring, like, last year. But their teams aren't very good, and and so you wonder kind of like what if if Jalen Green is your best player, how far is is your team getting? 
Yeah, and I, I think that's a good concern. I will say that Green has shown me he's been better than I thought he would be. I knew he could score. I knew yeah. that he could, you know, just come up with highlight real plays. I knew he could get his own shot. He's in, He's shown improvement as a passer, and he's shown that he can play a role. So my biggest concern with him is how is he going to play in a situation where he's not dominating the ball and he's not a high-usage guy. I saw him play in high school live a couple times, and he was one of the best high school players I've ever seen. I think he had like 40 or 50-point game, but he had the ball in his hands every time. I had a chance to watch him play in Greece at the under-19s, and he came off the bench. But he was behind Cade and Tyrese Halliburton. But he, he looked more suited for a role off the bench, but it was still kind of hard to to gauge him. I mean, you could obviously see the talent, mm-hmm. but it was still kind of hard to see does he really fit in the team setting because the USA team was so much more dominant than the other teams in that particular tournament. So those are my big concerns, but I've been – I've really been impressed with how he's played so far. The team is winning. And, I mean, I know a lot of it has to do with the veterans around him and, and Jared Jack and, and those guys. But um, he, he's, he's played well. Like yeah. I said, the, the role and the passing, he's shown that he's he's made strides as a passer. He's more of a scorer than a shooter. But the talent is just undeniable. But like you said, you, you mentioned the, the handle – could improve a lot. But the concerns, I, I'd say, like, with Bill. Bill is uh, a much better shooter. Yeah, Bill's a, a way better shooter at at the same stage, but Bill has improved tremendously as a shot creator as far as getting his own shot. I remember there were some comparisons to Ray Allen when Bill first came out, and it was kind of like the older Ray Allen. I, mm-hmm. A lot of people just thought he was going to be a very good shooter and a guy that can – you know, attack closeouts, but he's he's able to play pick and rolls, and you know, he's averaging like thirty something a game. But I would say like Levine has never been on a winning team, and and he's putting up monster numbers. Bill has been on a winning team before. I mean, some of those Washington teams earlier in his career were pretty competitive, and um, but he wasn't the best player on those teams. I mean, you know, to me, it was John Wall's team. Oladipo, the Pacers were good. With, with him there, and and I just think, you know, the injuries have kind of taken a toll on him. So we'll kind of see what happens in free agency. But those are the guys that I would kind of compare Jalen Green to. And if he ends up similar to those guys, then he's going to have a lot of accolades of a score. But as you say, your concern is from the winning aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, like, getting getting Zach Levine with, like, the third overall pick, third – getting a guy who's played like Zach Levine has played uh, over the course of his career with the third overall pick, like that's, that's a pretty good outcome yep. from like a draft uh, perspective. But um, I think back to, there's this, uh, there's this tweet I always remember, um, the Wizards. The Washington Wizards drafted one, three, three, and six. They nailed three out of the four picks, and they never made the Eastern Conference Finals. Right, it's just like it's it's really really tough. So who are the picks? The Wall, Bill, Wall, Beal, and Porter. Okay. Yeah. And I, but even then, like Porter, 
he's a very solid role player, but he was drafted so high that I would say his production hasn't been as good as his where he was selected. And and the miss was like Jan Vesely, right? So like the yeah. miss was was real bad. But you, you know what's funny? I, I lived what? in Turkey. Jan is an NBA player today. I've heard that. I've heard that. He is a freak athlete. I just think that his game, he was a tweener then, and teams, and I had a chance to actually talk to him about it because, I mean, he was on the team that I was working for. They were trying to turn him into, like, a really skilled guy, like a Dirk or a Bargnani. Jan is, is a rim roller, and he's he, he's a guy that I think right now, if he were in the NBA, he could be... He could definitely be a rotation center, at worst a number two or number three center. But his game fits the NBA now as opposed mm-hmm. to when he was drafted. And that's when teams were looking for the next, like I said, the next Dirk. And he may have shown some flashes of skills when he was coming out of partisan or whatever, but that just wasn't his game. Just give him a simple role, and I think he could fit. And I know teams have been inquiring about him coming over but he's never coming back to the states. Yeah, why? Why would he? Like, I understand that from like a, um, from like I had a I had a really terrible job. Like, why would I go back to that employer? Like, I get yeah. it. Yeah, then you know he's married now. He has a young child, and and then you know just the whole adjustment to to coming back to another country. But yeah, I want to say, um, I know the Mavs are interested in bringing him over here and a few teams, but but yeah. Either way, what he does now, and even if he was a, a NBA player today, it means nothing for <laughs> the Wizards' choice at that particular time. Yes. All right, so moving on to Evan Mobley. And I think Evan Mobley would be a, a good fit for for the Pistons. What are your thoughts on Mobley? I like Mobley a lot. Um, he, I love the, like, mix of height and mobility that he has. Mm-hmm. Um, very skilled. Great, very skilled, good Good shooter, not like uh, not a knockdown shooter, but like a good shooter for his age and for his size. Um, I like the ability that he has to like face up and get by guys. I think that'll be important for him as long as he's that skinny. Um, I like the I like the little bits of passing we get to see him do at USC, like the high lows and stuff he gets to do with his brother. Yeah, uh, I like that. Um, Speaking of that, I, at first when I first started watching this film, I was like, "Man, this guy is a very good passer." But then I started noticing, like, okay, a lot of them are to his brother, and I have two younger brothers, and I know when we used to play pickup, not saying we dominated, but we just had this chemistry that allowed us to have some advantages. I knew where he were, yeah. where he was at, and vice versa. But the more I watched this film, I realized, like, he is a very good passer for big. But it does help that, you know, he's on the court with his brother. Yeah. And they they have, like, this family chemistry that's been developing <laughs> for probably, like, almost 20 years. So Yeah. The passing isn't, like, good enough. Like, I've seen some people say, like, he could play four. And, like, I don't – I wouldn't do that. Like I don't think that's that's what you uh, would end up doing. I don't think it's what you would end up doing in Detroit. But uh, like the skill level is so high, that, like I understand why people are saying it. Yeah. I just disagree with it. Um, and the passing would need to be like the passing would need to be that chemistry that he has with his brother all the time if he was going to play the four yep. in the NBA. Well, I think he can play the four in the NBA, and I think he'll start off at the four in the NBA simply because he's just not strong enough to play the five. 
And I want to say, like, Anthony Davis came into the NBA at, like, 220. Mm-hmm. And he ended up starting at the four because he just wasn't physical enough. I'm trying to think, who was the five? Was it? It was, like, Omer Ashik and, yeah, like, yeah. Alex Ajinka. Yeah, uh, maybe Okafor. Did he play with Emeka for a little while? He might have. Yeah, I think he did. I think he did yeah. play with Emeka. Yeah. Now he just doesn't want to play the five, but he's put Which on probably like yeah, probably like thirty to forty pounds since then. Mm-hmm. I could see a similar development maybe with Mobley. Yeah. Uh, even though the, the game is getting smaller size wise, guys are probably stronger. You know, so. He's he's pretty light in the pants, so he's definitely gonna need to, to put on some weight. So I, I could see a team starting him at the four a little bit early in his career. Yeah, I was thinking more like you you ease him in as the as the backup center. Yeah, right? like that that would, because like I'm less worried about uh, how his strength plays against other NBA backup centers. And yeah. you you use a couple of years, like a year and a half to get him to gain some weight, and, and then you know, he takes over the starting role. Um, but the thing that worries me about Mobley is he has, like, a sub-15% uh, rebound percentage. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's not great for a guy who's seven feet tall. Like, I feel like if you're seven feet, you should be able to grab some rebounds. That's just, like, the, the Detroit in me. It's like I like, <laughs> my tall, I like my tall guys to grab rebounds. Yeah. Um, the only other thing is, like, this isn't the reason not to take him. But the Pistons did just spend a first-round pick on Isaiah Stewart. And so it's like you use two first-round picks in two years to pick up two centers when center is, like, the least valuable position. Mm-hmm. It's like that would be that'd be weird, but yeah. Mobley is good enough that I think it would end up being worth it. And we like we talked about, like, there's not a guarantee that Stewart is a starting center long-term in the NBA. So like if you think if you think Mobley's a better talent, you should just absolutely like just make the pick. Yeah, and I also am buying into his shooting long term. I think that he, I mean, the touches there, whether it's like the soft touch finishes around the rim, and the the outside shooting, I definitely think it's there. I think he's a better shooter than his numbers indicate. Right now, he's at like sixty nine percent from the foul line, thirty three percent from three. But I think. Give him a summer or two. I think he should be a, a a good, at least respectable shooter. I think he'd be a good match for Killian because he could be a role guy or a pop guy. I agree. I think that's very important for both of their development. If he has a guard that can get him the ball and in the right spots, then he's going to maximize his potential. And the same for Killian. If he has a big that is going to you know, create lanes for him to get to the rim, then I, I think that, you know, it's a win for Detroit also. So Yeah, that that's a that's the shades of uh Jokic and Murray without like Mobley's not that good of a passer, obviously. Yeah. But just yeah. like their their two man game like by itself, we've seen that like that can be successful in the playoff setting. So like I absolutely and Mobley projects to be better than Jokic, like, as a defender. So I, I absolutely think that pairing could work, and that pairing is really interesting to me as a Pistons fan. Yeah, I mean, I think if Kate is off the board, then that would be, like, their their ideal choice for, for me, just based off of the roster now. But, you know, you can't really draft, or you shouldn't draft based off your current roster. You should draft off, you know, long-term potential. Yeah. But anyway... We're running out of time. I really appreciate you coming on. And can you give the audience um, 
you know, where they can find you at and, and, and your social media handles. For sure. And I wanted to thank you for, for having me on, Raphael. I really appreciate it. Uh, your audience can follow me on Twitter at LazChance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. You can uh, listen to both of the Pistons podcasts I host, the Detroit Pistons, uh, the, uh, sorry, the Detroit Bad Boys podcast and Pistons versus Everybody. You can find those podcasts on whatever podcast platform you are listening to this podcast on. And uh, as always, you can read anything I write on DetroitBadBoys.com. I've been writing a lot less. It's hard to write about an eight-win team. I don't know if you've ever tried it, Raphael. It's not, no, it's not I easy, man. <laughs> I have just the fact that you do two podcasts is impressive to me. Thank you. Yeah, that has also been difficult, but uh, yeah, slightly easier. I bet. So yeah, I imagine writing and then doing two podcasts on a team that is an eight-win team is difficult. But it's also the reason why I I have you on today because I know you have to start thinking ahead to the 2021 draft because you know the the season is. It's 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 uh, at this point it's just developmental minutes for the guys. So. Yeah, the the 2021 draft is why we are playing the season. Yep. Yep. All right. Thanks again for for coming on. I hope to have you on as a guest a few times in the in the near future. So this is Raphael with the NBA Draft Junkie Show. This is the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. I have my guest Last Jackson. I don't even know what to say he does. I just know he covers the Pistons and <laughs> and. Two, two podcasts, and, and he writes about them. So he gave you his contact information where you can reach him out and where you can reach him and follow his work. And we are out.